Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, this is Boomer Esiason, and I am so excited to welcome you to my new game time podcast right here on Odyssey, where every week I'll be joined by one of the world of sports most celebrated stars. Only on this podcast will you hear the full story from our guest, who I interview each and every week on my Game Time television show. Now, be my guest as I welcome the NCAA's Football Coach of the Year, Luke Fickle, from the University of Cincinnati Bearcats. Luke, great to meet you, and thanks for coming on Game Time. I appreciate you having me, Boomer. Thank you. All right, so even though your Bearcats did lose to Alabama, it had to be a tremendous vindication for your program to have gotten to finally break through and make it into college football's Final Four. It was. I mean, there's one of those things that you just don't know. You always kind of, you know, reiterate it, whether it's in recruiting or to your team, that, you know, take care of the things you can take care of. And, you know, for us, playing for a championship has always been the objective. And, and say, don't worry about anything else. Obviously, a lot of things got to fall into place, and it was a unique year. The the schedule that we had and obviously the way that we played, um, they gave us the opportunity. So we obviously were ecstatic. We enjoyed it, learned a lot, obviously a little bit hungrier to, to have that opportunity again and to change you know, the fate at the end. Um, but I think for us, more than anything, it, uh, it really was a, a big step for our entire program. You know, I know you coaches always have, you know, the long game in mind. You're always looking to the future. You take one game at a time. But I'm just thinking, you go into Notre Dame and you beat Notre Dame in South Bend. I mean, can you just take me back to what that must have felt like coming off of the field, knowing that you accomplished that? Well, I I think it was unique. We knew going into the season we had a really good football team. I mean, we had a quarterback that obviously had been a four-year starter. And just we had, you know, we just had a lot of pieces in place. And the week before that, we didn't play quite as well. And uh, we won at Indiana. Um, So going into that game, you know, with with the expectations of what we had, uh, it was unique. And I knew, like I said, we knew we had a really good football team. We kind of had to put things together. And um, the day is a little bit surreal. And to, as you know, being in Cincinnati, a uh, highly, highly uh, Catholic population, and there's a ton of people around the community that were like, hey, I, I can't wait for that Notre Dame game. In my head, I kept thinking, yeah, but who are you going to be rooting for? Hey, we're going to be at the Notre Dame game. Yeah, but who are you going to be rooting for? Um, so all those things encompassing, you know, for me, for us, uh, it was definitely surreal. But I think for our kids in particular, just, you know, the things that they'd heard about, you know, especially the entire year, mm-hmm. um, it was a heck of a day. Yeah, I don't know how you keep your kids from, you know, getting overhyped or just a little bit too nervous at the beginning of that game. I would imagine you had a pretty stern message for them all week long. But what was the pregame speech like? Well, we had a unique team. And, and it wasn't like you had to have something every week, you know. I mean, we, we had kind of, you know, built up a little bit. We, we had had an you know, off season where, you know, it was a little bit more normal because obviously we're coming off a unique year. Um, and even going into fall camp, that was, you know, I'm not saying you overlooked anything else, but that was one of those things that, 
you know, you had kind of marked and had worked for. So it wasn't like there was some, you know, rah-rah speech of any sorts. It was, you know, about being us. And to me, in a unique situation, meaning maybe, you, you know, not being arrogant, but you think you're better than them. You think you got a better team and you want to kind of show your team that you believe in that way. So some of that, you know, other ways you talk to them and try to rile them up. I don't know for us and the team we had what was what was going to be best for us. So it became a little bit more of a, hey, let these guys run. We know who we are. Who we are is good enough. And I think, you know, with what we had in a leadership role, I thought that was the right way to go. And obviously, you know, it ended up being the right way. You know, I know recruiting is hard, and I know selling a program is hard, especially in a city like Cincinnati where there is a professional football team, the Cincinnati Bengals. And at the same time that you have Desmond Ritter, and he plays four years for you, and he has a great career for the Cincinnati Bearcats, there's a guy by the name of Joe Burrow that's taking over for the Cincinnati Bengals and is, like, capturing everybody's attention around the country. How difficult was it to share kind of like the mantle of your success with their success combined? Well, I think it was great for our guys because sometimes the most difficult thing is to handle success. And when you, you know, maybe aren't getting as many of the pats on the back because of everything that's going, there's, there was a lot to be given around this entire community. So I think for us in the long run, it was great. Um, I think the energy around the whole entire city was something that we fed off as well. You know, maybe we believed it was all us, but the reality <laughs> was it was, it was a combination. And I think with that being said, I just think in general, you know, how, diehard football people are in Cincinnati. I mean, from high school to college to pro, I just think that I'm not sure that's something that we had felt Mm -hmm. as much on campus since I've been here. I know the year before we had a phenomenal year, but with all the COVID and not having people around, you didn't get to experience some of the excitement and and the the energy because of the, you know, the, the, the situation we were in. So I think for the year, you know, obviously we're having a great season, but I think the community being as excited as they were about all of football, was a real blessing to us. You know, uh, I had Marcus Freeman on here, the new head coach at Notre Dame, your former defensive coordinator. Uh, you and he have a lot in common. And the one thing that he did say to me is he wanted to model himself after you. Now, people need to know that you have six kids. He has six kids. I mean, like he's really following in your footsteps. How do you expect him to do at Notre Dame? He'll do a great job. I think, uh, obviously, that's always a unique place, and the expectations are incredible. But I think, you know, where he has come from, you know, obviously playing at Ohio State and coaching there at a GA and understanding what ex- expectations like that are like, I think that uh, that's invaluable. I don't think that people realize that because people will say, well, you haven't been a head coach before. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, every place is different, no matter what. You could have been a head coach for 10, 15 years, and if you go there, it's going to be uniquely different. And I think the experiences of, you know, not having all the successes in the world, you know, which I think is a great thing, you know, our first year here of really struggling, I think make all of us, but him in particular, probably grow a lot. And uh, I think he'll have a unique situation, but I think that, uh, I think they'll be really good. And I think all those experiences, even being a first-time head coach, I don't think will bother him. A little background on Sauce Gardner here in New York. Good dude, good player, great player. Great kid. I mean, is really a humble. Sometimes you get the look with the, you know, the, the new grill and the chains and stuff. He is at, he is the same kid that walked in here like he's a 12-year-old and he walked out of here the same exact kid. And uh I I you'll love I think he's a hell of a player. Honestly, I think his his future is he's still getting a hell of a lot better. Like 
he's going to be better, I think, in the NFL because he understands football, so he's more than a man cover guy. I think he really understands football, and he's better when he's asked to do more things. All right, we're just getting warmed up with Luke Fickle. We'll look back on his formative years in Columbus when game time continues right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Luke Fickle grew up in Columbus, Ohio, where he got hooked on wrestling at age five and became an unbeaten three-time state champion. Some opponents were reportedly so intimidated by his reputation that they actually forfeited their matches in advance. (laughs) So, you know, we are here back with Luke Fickle, and according to the Cleveland Plain Dealer coach, you could have been an NCAA champion and Olympic gold medal winning wrestler, except for one thing. You had your heart set on football, so why 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 not go for the Olympic gold medal? Well, I'll be honest with you, since I was probably eight or nine years old, that was my ultimate goal. Um, I wasn't one of those guys who grew up saying I'm gonna play in the NFL. My ultimate goal was to win an NCAA wrestling NCAA wrestling title and be an Olympic champion. And um, I don't know, it's just the way I grew up. I guess I, I I fell in love with the sport at a young age. My uncle was a coach. My dad, you know, kind of helped him out. Was a coach as well. And uh, you know, when you thrive, when you kind of excel at something, I guess, I'm not excelling at it in the first four years. I don't think I won a match, they say, for two or three years at least. Um, but when you're five, I guess you wrestle against older guys. I try to make an excuse. Uh, it's just something I, like I said, I fell in love with. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think it really made me who I am. And I know for a fact it, uh, it helped me as a, as a football player, that's for sure. I was going to say the transferable skills are evident. You know, I, I play with Dave Remington of the Remington Trophy fame and Outland Trophy Award winner, Lombardi Trophy Award winner at Nebraska. He was a state wrestling champion. And he used to tell me all the time, you know, that being a center or being a defensive tackle or end like yourself, you are able to use your hands better than the guys you played against because of the wrestling techniques. I think there's no doubt. I mean, some people just have natural power, and some of us that don't just have the God gifts of all natural power, you got to play with some great leverages. And uh, for me in particular, I thought that that's where, you know, the hand fighting and the balance and things like that. I think the thing that gets overlooked sometimes is just by nature the core strength that you develop in a sport like wrestling. And when you start at a younger age, I just think there's some differences to to the core strength in all that you do. And obviously that helps you with balance. It helps you with leverage. It helps you with some strength um, in dis- in different ways. And we all know that it's a battle in there, especially, you know, interiorly in the, in, in the game of football. And there's nothing I think that correlates greater than, than wrestling in general, especially inside and in the game of football. So does Kevin Wiley of Perrysburg High School ring a bell in, in your life? I'm not sure the name, but Perrysburg High School, I, I, I don't, I will never go back into that school. Um, I've been there one other time and I wouldn't go in the school. I spoke to a, a camp outside the school, but I, uh, I refuse to go back in there um, ever since my freshman year. Well, Kevin Wiley cost you a, I guess, a state championship your freshman year at that high school. Is that not right? That, uh, that is the, you know, one of the last, if not the last loss, other than 
maybe a match in college. Uh, that was basically the last loss. And, uh, you know, but uh, to be honest, it, it made me who I am. And, uh, but it's something I'll never, ever forget. And, yes, I, I, was, uh, I was a three-time state champ with the, the ultimate goal of, from the time I was eight years old, of being a four-time state champ. And uh, it definitely ended then. You know, I'm kind of glad we're doing this kind of Zoom because I think you just got mad at me when I mentioned that name in that high school. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm not in the same room with you. Hey, by the way, uh, was this a true story that you were one of the top tight end prospects in, in, in high school and your coach asked you to move to center? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, third game my uh, my senior year. Okay, after game three, um, I think we ended up being one and two after going to the state finals the year before. And uh, yeah, I moved to center. But I think ultimately that's where I was probably headed um, with uh, you know maybe with the the speed and the things that uh, that I was blessed with. But um, it was uh, after game three of my senior football season. Yeah, I'm just wondering if whether or not if you've ever had the I guess the unfortunate. I guess, way of having to tell a player that you want to switch his position and they're usually not initially happy at that, but you see something in that player that might bode well at another position. Have you had those tough discussions? Yeah, I have. And I, and I do revert back to myself. Um, you know, I remember my high school coach having that conversation with me. And uh, I know that in the long run, after the years after it, he, he had told me that he wasn't as worried about me as he was like, my father or something coming back and wondering what, what he's doing. Like, like all of us, I, I think that we feel like we can talk sometimes to our kids because you got a relationship with them. You always wonder how it's going to go over outside of, uh, outside of that room. Um, I had a conversation just like that probably three, four weeks ago with one of our guys here. And uh, I think as a coach, you got a little bit of that objective outside look to where their future you know, fits best and uh, not just best for the team because I think we got to take all things into consideration. Um, but uh, I refer back to the, that senior year of high school uh, when I have to talk to these guys about that. Thank God my coach never asked me to go play another position. <laughs> <laughs> you would have done uh, it too. Well, I don't know, quarterbacks are Oh, that. man, I don't know, man. Ugh. In 2011, you were named interim head coach replacing Jim Trestle. Now, the Buckeyes won 6-6. Six and six. Urban Meyer ultimately ended up getting the job. You were 37 years old with no prior head coaching experience. Do you actually consider that a failure? <laughs> That's definitely uh, one of the two. We've already talked about one of the other ones. Thank you, Boomer. I appreciate that. But, um, yes, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, you, you have an expectation, like we've talked about a little bit earlier, just – you know, in your mind and in your heart. And uh, when those expectations aren't lived up to, I think you look at it as a failure. But, you know, failures don't define us, and we all understand that's not just some cliche that a coach says. Um, but I also look at it as that's, that's what I believe. I mean, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. And, and if you're not trying, then, then the really your chances of growing um, are only going to go so far. You know, you're, you were a player at Ohio State, had a lot of success, co-defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, had a lot of success under Urban Meyer. You get the job at Cincinnati. I'm just trying to think, you know, when you first get that job at Cincinnati, what's what's on your to-do list to try to get this program turned around? Well, I, I, obviously getting the right people around you. And I think for me, being very fortunate of, of being around Hall of Fame coaches, I played under under John Cooper, who's a Hall of Fame college Hall of Fame coach, uh, Jim Tressel, who's a Hall of Fame coach, Urban Meyer, who will be a Hall of Fame football coach. Obviously, there's three different ways and three different leadership styles, but I think the unique thing that I learned from being around those guys 
was the people that are around you are so critical. And especially in this game today, I mean, there's so many facets, 120 players, whatever. I mean, there's just so many things that there's no way you can do what you want to do, have the success that you want to have if it doesn't start with the people that are around you. And uh, so for me, taking over from the get-go, yeah, you want to get around the guys. You, hey, we got to change this culture. we got to do this. we got to do this. Um, I really believe the, the number one thing we had to do was get the right people in our corner that were going to truly believe in the way we wanted to do things and how we wanted to do them. You know, four and eight your first year had to be difficult. It always is difficult the first year, and then 11 and two your second year. I mean, that's that's fast. That's 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 a quick turnaround. I mean, what did it take to go from four and eight and 11 and two in one year? Well, it wasn't players. Let's just say that. Uh, I give the example when, when I talk about that. I think back about that. That first year, I think we had we had two guys drafted, but I think we had four or five guys making the NFL roster off of a four and eight team. The following year, we win 11 games, and I think we had one guy drafted, and and maybe two guys or three guys that made an NFL, maybe two um, guys that made an NFL roster. It wasn't players, you know. We didn't have bad players. We just had a bad team, and team is about leadership. And uh, so for me, bigger than anything, from year one to year two, it was all about, hey, how do we get these guys to understand that this is a game that you got to be, you got to play together, you got to do things together. There's, there's no other game like it where you have so many moving parts, so many things are so critical. It's not just the eleven guys on the field. There's just, there's so many parts to it. And so, for us to build some trust, respect, and love in our locker room is. I will always, today, whenever, say that the biggest difference between year one and year two was not players. It was a trust, respect, and love that really was built in a locker room. You know, I know 2020 was tough for everybody, but you're in the middle of building a program. It's a COVID season. You guys end up going 9-0 and that season. It was a truncated season, and yet you don't make the college football playoffs. Uh, you were undefeated. There was a lot of people out there that were rooting for you guys at that time. And I'm just trying to think about how frustrated you guys must have been not getting in. And then you go to the Peach Bowl and you almost upset Georgia. So I think you actually validated the type of team that you had that year. I think all those things led up to the following year. I mean, let's be honest. It, it, it's not an easy um, you know, run, whether you win all your games or not, to, to get down to the Final Four. And yeah, I think you got to have some places that you've started and some successes before. And I think that year was was a big part of that. And it wasn't just a big part of that, you know, for the college football nation, the people that were voting. I think it was a big part of it for our guys as well. And, uh, you know, there's no there's no moral victories. But I think that uh, the way the game went, the way that it ended, I think was probably one of the greatest motivators that we've had in in, in the five years we've been here. And to be that close and to feel like, you know, you, you had an opportunity, a greater opportunity than maybe a lot of people believed um, for our kids, for our team, for our guys. I think that was more motivating than, than if we had we won or not. All right, we'll be back to get Luke's take on some of the major changes that are transforming the college football landscape today. Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Luke Fickle, who was recently rewarded with a contract extension through 2028 and a salary raise to $5 million per year, and certainly he's earned it. Now, this is probably a loaded question for you, Coach. Should the college football playoff field be expanded? I don't think it's a loaded question. I mean, I, I, I do believe, I think in, in, in the long run, it's going to be the best thing for the sport. I think in all that's going on, I mean, 
I don't want to say opt-outs, but just in general. I mean, we all want to have an opportunity. And the more people we can give an opportunity to, I think the better our sport's going to be. I didn't say I know how to do it. I didn't say, I, here's what it is. It should be aid. It should be that. But I think the idea is of expanding. Um, we found out can be done. You can play some more games later in the year. We found out two years ago through COVID, um, you know, in the December times and things like that. But I just think there's going to be a greater opportunity. I think it's going to keep more people involved. It's going to keep less guys from – you know, not playing at the end of the year because they have an opportunity to win a national championship. You know, for me as an, uh, an alum from the University of Maryland, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around that we were going to the Big Ten. And now all of a sudden, the Big Ten, you, you know, you played at Ohio State, you coached at Ohio State. Other than, you know, the Rose Bowl, what kind of relationship do you have with UCLA and USC? And now all of a sudden, they're coming to the Big Ten. How crazy is that? I just think it's the, it's, it's the times. It's the way of the world right now that some of those traditions are – not unfortunately, I guess it's, it's just the realities. Um, you know, I, I say the game, people, how many times have you heard the game has changed? Well, Boomer, back when you played at the Bengals and the Jets and when you were in the NFL, the game, I never say the game has changed. I say the game has evolved and it's always evolving. That's the beauty of the game that we have. Well, you know what? The surroundings, the things that are happening around us are evolving. There are some unique things that are different in college football right now. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it worse. It just makes it a little bit different. And we got to continue to involve in all that we do. You know, and speaking of musical chairs and realignment, you know, how different will the Big 12 be from the American Athletic Conference? I'd like to tell you I know. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to be ignorant enough to say I, I haven't played. I haven't played in the league. You know, um, we study and we watch them, um, you know, in, in general. Uh, but I think that's, it's, it's going to be different. That's, that's, there's no doubt about that. I think week in and week out, not just different teams, not just, well, you're going to have, each week you're going to have a tougher game. No, I just think environments are going to be more difficult. The, the one thing that you might not get a ton of are great environments within the athletic. And uh, sometimes – um, that's not the greatest thing in the world. Uh, but I think when you go into the Big 12, you're gonna, it's going to be unique each and every week. You're going to have some incredible environments that you might not have had in the American. Um, and for us, more than anything, it's incredibly motivating when you're having a new opportunity to do something, uh, especially when your program's never done it. You know, Coach, I've had several marquee college football and basketball coaches on this program in recent months. And the consensus seems to be that if you live by the transfer portal, you die by the transfer portal. What have your experiences been like in that regard? So we are a high school-based team. Um, last year, we signed 24 high school kids. This year, we signed 19. I think we've got maybe 22 committed right now for, for the following year. Um, we're a recruit, retain, develop group. And I believe that that's best done with high school kids, which you're going to have for four and five years. Um, but I also, you know, not against it. I understand it. I think if you go that direction, I think you're right. You, you, you are kind of going down a path that you got to continue with. And um, for us, we have a, a matrix. If we're going to take a, any transfer, that they got to fit a matrix. And I think that uh, when you're looking at that, based on how many years those guys have, it's unique because the chemistry of your team, um, the environment within each and one of those rooms are very different when you start adding especially older guys. And for us, uh, the, 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 the culture, the environment is, is so critical that um, I don't know that that's some route that we're thinking that we're going to be uh, heavily into.
You know, I, I wonder about my, my alma mater, the University of Maryland, and whether or not in the football program it can keep up with everybody in the SEC and the Big Ten and where everything is moving to, especially with the name, image, and likeness situation that is developing all throughout college football. Um, is this good for college sports, and, and how is your institution dealing with it? I, I, it's another one of those things that's evolving the game. And is it good for college sports? I think if used in the right way, it is. It's good for kids. I think there's a lot of really positive things that can be brought about because of name, image, and likeness. I know that the negative ones get talked about a little bit more with recruiting and some guys it's more difficult for, but whoever you are and whatever you're doing, I think you got to have a plan for your program. And whatever your plan for your program is, you got to believe that that's the right thing that's going to allow you to grow, allow you to compete, and ultimately allow you to take care of your players. So ours is probably a little bit of a different plan than maybe some others. I'm not saying that means it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. You know, I'm not saying there's a lot of money. I'm not saying there's no money. Um, but I think it's unique for who we are and what we do. And I think that when we find the positives in, I think there's a lot of things we can teach these guys by having a little bit more money in their pockets if they're able to do that with the name, image, and likeness. However they're getting it, whether it's true name, image, and likeness, or it's you know in some other unique ways based on how they're using it in recruiting. Um, but I think there's a lot of benefit to teaching a kid how to manage some of this stuff when you have them under your wing that when they go off, hopefully, to play in the next level in the NFL, they've got a lot more. They've got a lot better grasp on how to manage it and how it all works. I don't know how it went for you in college. All I know is at the University of Maryland back in 1979, 1980, 1981, and 1982. In the summer, I had a $5-an-hour job in a warehouse, and it was hotter than heck, and you know what? We didn't make a lot of money, so I'm all for it, man. All right, now listen, I know how much you love Cincinnati and how competitive you
Well, there's not many offensive linemen I would say I would be able to do that with. Quarterbacks are a little bit different. I lived with one. I understand that. They get the they get the the notoriety of being the smart guy and all that. But we know how much people around them really help them out. All right, Luke, thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week on my new Game Time podcast when I'll be joined by two-time NFL MVP and Pro Football Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. And thanks for listening. It's the Game Time with Boomer Esiason podcast. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.